So last week we spent some time looking at this uh, idea of the already and not yet aspect of this season of Advent. And the, one of the reminders that came out of this is out of the passage of Scripture. It says, so whatever you do, don't go to sleep at the switch. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. And it's the prophet Malachi who asked the question of who it is that can stand, right? And the passage that Deb and Rick read a little bit ago is the passage for this morning. And it's out of Malachi chapter 3. It says, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? And I want to split this up a little bit because we know from last week that those who can stand are those who are prepared and vigilant in the watching for Jesus, who are prepared. And Malachi goes on to describe how to be prepared in this path of, a, of refinement as he continues. He says, For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So this idea of preparation is critical and important for us in the season of Advent because God is a God of preparation. We see that throughout Scripture. We see it in the lives of the Old Testament heroes that, that, that we read about. We see it in the lives of the New Testament heroes. God prepares those that he calls. He equips them to go and be about his business. And I just want to look at two this morning. I want to look at the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Uh, Peter, great example, right? He's the one that when they're... Uh, at the Last Supper, and you know, one of you is going to betray me, and Peter's the one who jumps up and says, I will never betray you. They might all turn away, but I will never deny you. And of course, Jesus gets arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin, and Peter's in the courtyard, and somebody comes up to him and says, hey, weren't you with that Jesus? No, I wasn't with him. Hey, weren't you? No, it wasn't me. It was her. You were, that was, you were with, no, right? He denies him three times, and, and, and then he, go, he goes off. He's bound to have been devastated by that, as, as he would said, no, I'll never do that, and yet he did. But did God throw him away? Yeah, spoiler alert, God doesn't throw us away, ever. No, he didn't. What did he do? When Jesus rose, and he was with the disciples, and he's got talking to Peter, and, and he goes to him, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. Feed my lambs. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. See, I, I love that he did that three times. How many times did he deny, deny the Lord? How many times did Jesus restore him? 
And then Peter became the rock upon which the church was built. It's powerful. What prepared him for the level of humility that he would need to lead a church that that was struggling and a church that didn't know what to do. He needed some humility. And God prepared him in a painful way. But he was prepared to be who God called him to be. The Apostle Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees, zealot, persecutor of the church, chased down Christians because they were blaspheming was at the martyrdom of the first disciple who, who died at, at Stephen's martyrdom and gave permission to, to, to stone him to death. That's Peter. And he's chasing Christians. He's on their way to Damascus. He's going he's to get them more. I've got more Christians, and, I, and they're wrong, and I'm going to get them. And he gets struck blind. And he hears a voice and says, that says, why are you persecuting me? And his response is, who are you? I'm Jesus, who you persecute. And his life was never the same again. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. He planted more churches. But here, look at the preparation. Paul, Roman citizen, Jewish man, Pharisee, zealot. What did the early church need? Needed people who could go into the Greek world and talk to them about who this Jesus was. And he's in a, I don't remember which city, but he was in a city. And, and he pointed out, he saw the, the statue to the unknown God. And he, and he says, let me tell you who the unknown God is. It's Jesus. So to the Greeks, he was able to deliver the message of Christ. He can go into a Jewish synagogue, Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he can argue scripture and say, this is what's being fulfilled. He could walk them through Isaiah. He could walk them through the prophets. He could say, this is what has happened in the Christ. He was a theologian. He wrote our doctrine for the church. Most of what we grab hold of, other than the Gospels, is written by Paul. He's a doctrine writer for us. He... He was prepared. He was persecuting the church, and God said, you know, you have the traits that I need, but you're so far off that I'm going to do something amazing with you and bring you where I need you to be. And he did. And because of that, our lives, your life and my life, and not the same, because God used this guy who was out to destroy the church and ended up building the church. Preparation. God is a God of preparation. These guys prepared the way for the many who followed. They prepared our way. On the second Advent, uh, Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at another preparer of the way. Corey mentioned a little bit earlier. It's John the baptizer. He was the one who came right before Jesus, who, who prepared the way for, for Christ's birth, the already part of the season, right? So, so, so John the Baptist is, is out there, and, and, and he reminds us that we are to prepare the way for others. He prepared the way for Christ. We're supposed to be bringers of the good news of the gospel as well because there are many who haven't heard it or who don't know it, and they need to receive it in order to follow who God would have them to be. They, they are in our families. They're in our schools. They're in our workplaces. They're in 
our community. They're in this nation of ours. They're all around the world. People who don't know this Jesus of ours. They need to hear the good news of God. God sent his son to die for us because we couldn't make a way. He made a way. There's this gap between us and God. And Jesus fills that gap. And people need to hear that. They need to know that God did the work. We don't do the work. We say yes and live a life that honors him, but the work was done by God. God came off the mountain for us. He said, you can't do it, but I can. Here's Christ. He's going to go and build this bridge. And he did. And people out there need to know that. They need to know that there is a pathway to God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. It says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Hear that. There's too much condemnation in the church, too much condemnation in the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved. God sent Jesus to save. We're to be saved through Christ. How amazing is that message? Do people need to hear about that? Yes, they need to hear about this. If you can't get excited about that, I don't know what to tell you. You know, God sent his son for you. He sent his son for me because I couldn't do it. And so he said, look, I'll do it for you. Tell people, though. (laughs) They're not going to get it by osmosis. You're going to have to do something. Tell people. And you don't have to tell them some, you know, you don't have to go step by step through a theological process. Tell them what God has done in your life. Period. God has changed my life. I am not the man I was. I'm a different person. I'm a new creation. I don't live like I used to live. I don't do all those things that I used to do in addiction and and all that junk. I don't do those things anymore. You know why? Because God, he changed me. He changed me. They changed you. Get, have an encounter with God and try and come out of that unchanged because you can't. You know, God, God's just going to change you. In our world, I believe this. I think there's a hunger for the gospel. Now, it doesn't always come out that way because it's like there's this emptiness inside of folks and they're trying to fill it with lots of different stuff, but it's a hunger for the gospel. It's a hunger for the message of God to be in relationship with the one who created all of us. And so that needs to reach the ears and the hearts of the people who are longing for that something missing. And it's not going to reach the ears and the hearts of the people if we don't step into that. And please don't mishear me. This is not a say yes to Jesus and everything's going to be hunky-dory and easy. Not one amen out there? (laughs) It's not always easy. It's not always easy, but this is a message of hope, because I don't know what you're going through, but there is hope found in Jesus Christ. It is a message of peace, all the things that we recognize in the candlelighting. God is a God of peace, and he wants to bring shalom, which is more than just the absence of conflict. He wants to bring peace into our lives. It's a message of joy. Ain't, no, ain't nothing going to steal my joy, right? It's a message of joy. It's a message of love. God loves you, loves me. 
and most of all, it's a message that will light up on Christmas Eve. That is, if Teresa doesn't burn the building down. Oh, Thomas is going to have the lighter, so we'll be safe. The Christ candle, when we light that, the light of Christ that shines upon us all. These things come from a relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in on any given day. The relationship with Christ is what draws us near and gives us love and peace and joy and hope and all of those things that we celebrate in the already not yet season of Advent. Malachi speaks of being refined and purified in our passage. And this refinement and purification, it has to do with justice. It has to do with becoming who we are to be. And the whole book that, that he writes, it addresses the soul of the people at that time. And the main concern for Malachi is the internal life of, of that community. Because this is the, the Israelites at that time were a community in that were, they were post-exilic, which means that it was after the exile. But they didn't have a lot of economic resources. They were struggling. Um, they, had, they were under Persian domination. Um, they weren't able to do the things that they had once been able to do. They had lost their church. They had lost their liturgical uh, and moral compass, so to speak. They, 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 they'd lost those responsibilities. So this, for them, was a timely word. It was a word from God to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. So they were hearing in anticipation a word about the coming deliverer because they needed deliverance. And I know for a fact there are many of us in this place who need deliverance from something. And that Savior of ours is, is there for us to be that, to be that for us. So he reminds us to be willing to cross the lines. Remember from last week that when we draw a line in the sand, one of the problems with it is that Jesus is always on the other side of the line. And he makes us have to step over, you know, in the day of the, when he, when he was with the, uh, on, the, on the earth, and the Pharisees would go, why are you hanging out with sinners? He, had cro- he steps over the line. He pushes us to do the same. He says, you don't need to just hang out with other church folk. I need you to step over the line. I need you to step into relationship with those of other races, with those of other cultures. I need you to step into relationship with those who the world says don't mess with and leave alone. I need my church to be there because when I come back, you know where I'm going first. I'm going to them. And if you're not with them, then you might miss me. And if you miss me, that would be so sad. Don't miss me. Step over the line. Be who I've called you to be. To be. See, Jesus in Matthew, he outlined this, and it was hard for them to hear even back then when he talked about the sheep and the goats. And, and he was saying, you know, whenever you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. And, of course, they said, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we, when did we visit you in prison? And that was his response. Whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, then you did it to me. What he's saying is there's a line that you tend to draw to keep yourself safe, and I need you to get unsafe. I need you to get uncomfortable. I need you to be willing to do that. And that's, hard, that's a hard truth for us. Who in here wants to be uncomfortable? <laughs> you notice my hand didn't go up either. You know, I, I like being comfortable. 
And yet I have a radical revolutionary that is my Savior who says, I know you like to be comfortable, but if that's all you got, it ain't where I want you to be. You better get uncomfortable. And I still argue with him, and I say, well, can I just get a little uncomfortable? Because I really don't want to go as far as what I think you want me to go, you know. I just was at a one-race retreat, and man, talk about being uncomfortable. To hear the stories from our African-American brothers and, and, and sisters about what they've been through is hard stuff. Because you hope it's gone away, and yet it has not. And we have a real opportunity in this church to become partners with some men and women who are making a difference, and that's awesome. Here's the thing. When we say yes to Christ, we're saying yes to, to this idea of reaching out to the least of these. So when I say it's not easy, when I, when I say your yes isn't like I'm going to give you this smooth path, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're going to say yes to Christ, get ready because it means stepping across some personal boundaries and some personal lines to get in relationship with, with people that you may not always get along with. And that's hard. And I know that's hard, and God knows that's hard. And he don't care. And he cares for us. But he wants us to take some hard steps. He wants us to take some hard steps. See, our covenant with Christ is jeopardized whenever we let other loyalties get in the way of our relationship to God, our relationship to other people, and, and that gets us stuck in some things. Whenever the church keeps silent, when the church is silent before policies and, and practices and projects that are in opposition to God's vision, when they're in opposition to his creation, see, there's an urgent need for a prophetic voice, and and we are to be that voice. We're to be, we are to be the voice in the wilderness crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And I have a second passage this morning. It's out of Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Acheria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Anna and, Ca Annas and Caiaphas. I say, do that fast. <laughs> the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John, the son of Zechariah, also known as John the Baptist, was the voice calling in the wilderness, making the way for Jesus. And because this kind of Prophetic preaching is often understood only as a message of doom and condemnation. It can be a difficult one to hear. Our lives are full. My life is full. My plate is full. It's overflowing. You want me to do what? You want me to do more? How can I possibly do that when, when I'm already up to here in my world? How can I do that? And the answer to such a question is found in the source of it. See, our inability 
to do more or accomplish more or be more or this moreism that's in our world and our culture, our inability to do that gives us this. It brings us here. My grace is sufficient for you. Pursue God's grace. When we can't, who can? God. My dunamis, which means power, dynamic, power, dynamite, right? My dunamis is made teleos, mature, complete in astenea, which is trials and tribulations. What do we avoid in life? Trials and tribulations. My power is made complete in trials and tribulations and weakness. And yet we avoid them like the plague. I can't do anymore. Well, then rely on my grace because my power is made perfect when you can't get it done. Because I'm the one who can get it done. I will get it done. But you got to let me get it done. Regardless of what you think or what you up here grabs hold of. My dunamis is made teleos and astenea. And the transforming hope that the Advent season brings is a continuation of the baptizer's ministry. Refine and purify are two words of the day. They offer a promise, though, a promise for change. They offer a promise for new beginnings. When I am refined, I am made new. I am made different. When I am purified, I am no longer the same. That means that I'm changing, that something's different, that I'm becoming made new. And rather than things, structures, and objects being made new, I'm being made new. It's, a, it's an internal, it's a personal transformation that's going on. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For then you're going to find out what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. And Advent is an opportunity for us to spend some time reflecting on who we are and who God would have us to be. Where am I and where do I need to go? Because it may be time to turn away from some of those things in my life that are in my journey that are not, I'm either in a new place or they don't need to be there. It may be that we need to turn into a calling that we know that we have but we've been too afraid of. I don't know, but this is the season. This is the season to reflect and to figure that out and to spend time with God. It's all part of the refining and purifying process that all of us who call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior agree to when we say yes to salvation. It's not just thank you for saving me. It's also Lord of my life. And those are two distinctly different things. And Lord is more difficult than, 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 than salvation because he did the salvation. Now I've got to work on how do I let him be Lord. And this season is... Yes, a time of celebration. The already is awesome. Ha Christmas is cool, right? Oh, yeah, hang on. Christmas is cool, right? Yeah, yeah Jesus came. Did you, do you like that Jesus came? <laughs> that's the already, and it's an awesome thing. You know, and, and that's a part of this season. We want to celebrate that. And there's a not yet anticipation of the radical divine intervention that, 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 that the coming of the Messiah is going to bring. 
but we still need to reflect. When we consider at Arbor Point Church at West Jackson, when we consider who is the least of these, who do we engage with? How do we prepare the way for them to join us in this journey? This is the season of, of that consideration. How do we bring the hope to them that was given to us? Because we have such a hope in Christ. So for us as a congregation, it's a season to consider and, and to refine and purify ourselves as well. 2019, I believe completely, is a, is a critical year for us. It's a critical year for us here at Arbor Point. We're launching Celebrate Recovery, and with that, we're hoping, I haven't talked to the council yet, so I'm ahead of, ahead of the game a little bit here, but we want to turn the back corner into a little Jericho Village cafe type place so that when Celebrate Recovery is going on or events, we'll have a place to be able to do that. We're going to be launched, we've launched the Mighty Special Needs Ministry, and if you were at the painting party, it was awesome. It was a blast. We're going to, they're going to be a part of Jingle Jam as they come in, and we're going to strengthen our partnership with West Jackson. We're going to continue to build and grow, uh, grow to be you day school. These are things that we are doing in this community that we are drawn to do that are impacting people that are often across that line that gets drawn in the sand, you know? Some of them are the least of these, and we want to be in relationship with them. They put us into community. They put us reaching beyond ourselves. These are people who the world might call imperfect, but we call neighbor and we call friend. That's who we're going to be in ministry with. You know, last week we talked about the signs of the second coming. And that we have a choice in how to think about that. We could see it as a sign of destruction and doom. But, and this is where I want us to go, I hope that we're beginning to see that we are in a time of opportunity in this place. We are in a time in this community and in this world of opportunity that we can, that we can step into a ministry opportunities and, and areas that, that are going to be difference makers for us. That there is a joyful expectation in this season. And a joyful celebration in this season that we can grab onto. And I pray that's where our mind goes. As we are refined and we are drawn closer to him. That, that as we celebrate the already birth. And as, as we look to the not yet return in this place, in this moment, at this time. We are prepared to be the messengers of God to this community. That helps people who are across that line. It's who Arbor Point has always been, a group of imperfect people following the one who is perfect. So this is not new, but the ministries that we're launching are going to put us in the community, in that place. So start telling people, January 10th is Celebrate Recovery. It's coming. Go ahead. Yeah, start telling people. It's going to happen. Go to BU Day School. It's open. And enrolling. January to continue to do that. I was at, I'm at Good News Club every week at West Jackson Elementary School. It's a blast. Y'all missed out. <laughs> there are many things, the mighty, I mean the penny party, I mean that's just, you know, and that's just the first of that. There's lots going on. We want to be that kind of place that God uses to reach the least and the lost.